Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the Minimalists. What is the number one most requested topic that we have not covered on the Minimalist Podcast? Mm. Minimalist pets. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is this question. We, we get variations of pet questions more than anything. And we've waited 329 episodes so look no further, because today on the public podcast, on this minimal episode, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about simple pets with Dr. Karen Shaw Becker and Rodney Habib. They're the authors of this new book. Let me hold it up if you're watching on YouTube. It's called The Forever Dog. We're going to dive into the book. And then on this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, we're going to talk about how we've turned our cats and dogs into hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> Yeah. Rodney, Karen, thank you both for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, Excited awesome. to be here, man. Oh, man. This is, uh, I'm telling you, I, I usually record podcasts. Ryan and I record podcasts where it's a topic I'm really, really interested in. I don't have a ton of interest in this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're known for being honest. So, yes. uh, yeah, he, Josh is being honest there. But <laughs> this is why it's the perfect podcast, because our audience is so interested. The questions keep pouring in. We have voicemails. We have text messages. We have social media questions. We always have people asking us about pets. I don't own any pets. Yeah. I'm allergic to pets, mm. oh, um, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I, I want to understand and this fascination because Ryan has a pet. Yeah. I have a child. I don't think she counts as, as having a pet, though. <laughs> right. uh, Not after they turn five. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. We have so many questions about this. Because this is a listener-driven show, I thought we would just dive right into the questions. And then we'll, uh, we'll just see where that takes us. Our first question today is from Morgan on Facebook. Apart from working or service animals, why do humans need pets? Mm. Why do we need pets? Now, now, Karen, is there maybe there's a, a, a biological or evolutionary imperative here? Because when I look at hunter-gatherers, many of them even have pets. So, mm. so ancient human beings, we've had pets for a very long time, right? Humans and animals have co-evolved, totally. And we have a special affinity for Canis lupus familiaris domesticated dogs, which, of course, their cousins were gray wolves. And so mm. humans and the gray wolf have been co-evolving for for millennia, which is awesome. It served us because wolves were, uh, you know, they were basically scavenged on our garbage tens of thousands of years ago. So right. we'd throw the garbage out, they would forage. But we ended up working together, wolves uh, and and then, of course, domesticated dogs. They're amazing to be around. They offer some protection. We can hunt together with them. Mm. But then we realized how cool they were as species, as, as animals. And over the last 10,000 years, they went from us hanging out with them to then us using dogs for working purposes mm. to then us breeding specific types of dogs to serve a purpose. Dogs that retrieve things in water, dogs that can retrieve pheasants, dogs that can flush pheasants to dogs that were just cute and adorable. And then they came closer. They went from the barn to the front porch and from the front porch to our beds. Mm. And there they have stayed the last couple hundred years. Um. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I, 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 it amazes me how we have evolved dogs to do specific things. And I forget who I was like, I don't know, I'm telling my little cousin this. I was like, you know, dogs, like they, they come from wolves. And like, she just couldn't wrap her head around it. And I'm like, no, it's thousands of years of breeding. Yeah. Like, you get this little chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, and when you see a chihuahua next to a wolf, you're like, that these can't possibly, this could not have derived from this, right? right. But, but Ronnie, back to the question. It's not that we need pets. I think quite often it's that people get great joy from having a yeah. companion. Man, I kind of like, I'm kind of, I was kind of like you. So initially dogs are kind of new to me per se. Came from Mediterranean family. Family was like, nope. Absolutely no dogs are coming into the house. The furniture is number one. You're going to get dog hair on the furniture. We'll throw you outside. No dogs are coming in here. So I, man, I didn't get my first dog till my thirties. So wow. that term hedonic adaptation, you know, where you, the, I was sheltered from that experience. And then the moment that my first dog came into my life, it was the most life. I changed my whole career path. I changed my entire life mm. when I got my first dog in my thirties. What kind that, of dog? It was a white shepherd called Sam. It was, and it was kind of really of a petty way of to do it. I watched the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. He had a dog, a German shepherd in there named Sam. Yeah. I had to have a dog, German shepherd named Sam. It's terrible. I don't ever recommend anyone <laughs> doing that. Do not do that. But I will tell you, holy moly, like it, mm. it totally transformed my life. Like that, I can't explain the connection without getting emotional. And I think it's like the mother when she has her first child or the dad when they have their first kid and you kind of look into that child's eyes that I don't know that connection. I don't have kids. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to any pet parent in the world, it's that same emotional connection. And then you're seeing a global transformation from it, right? The birth rate in America, down 11%. More, yeah. more moms are not becoming like kid moms, but they're like dog moms, right? Mm -hmm. In certain countries, there's more chill, uh, sorry, there's more pets than there are children. Mm -hmm. Canada's getting there very close, the United States. You're seeing booms in places like China. Like there was no dogs in China. And then all of a sudden over the last like decade, they are now the number one country in the world with dogs and then you're watching wow. go to India and it's, it's a giant wave. And I truly believe it's because of that connection and the completion that there is there. You, you know, you talk to a, a war veteran, right? Yeah. They'll tell you their whole life changed when they got their service dog, right? Mm. And like, it just totally transformed them. Autistic children, children now that can read better or prevent depression in kids. Cause they got somebody to talk to, man, I really wish I could explain that feeling, but if you're a pet parent, you know what I'm talking about because it's, you can feel it on the inside. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it wild? Like we have a pet, like I have, my wife and I have a cat and I love making that cat's life as, as amazing as I possibly can. Like there's something about giving that cat a good life that like yeah. really brings me joy. And it's the same thing with a dog. I used to have a dog and it was the same way. It's like taking him for a walk. Just every time he got excited, I got excited. <laughs> there is like a connection with animals. Yeah. That um that most yeah most people have I I think that's why we have pets it's yeah. for that companionship it seems to me Karen that there is a biological imperative as well for just connection and and we've disconnected ourselves so much that quite often we're also leaning on our pets for that sort of emotional support as well and that that emotional connection instead of coming home to an empty house by ourselves mm -hmm. we're looking for companionship however we can and and one way to do that it seems is to have a pet there and animals are so authentic and they're so transparent and they're so in the moment. So when you go out to get your mail or take the trash out and you come in, your dog is like, hello, it's been 30 seconds. And they're <laughs> so fired up your home. Like that is a genuine reaction. You don't get yeah. that from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. I mean, you just don't. 
<laughs> but let me tell you, animals do that, yeah. and and it, it that brings us joy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't lie. Like yeah. it's almost yeah. like animals mm-hmm. are incapable of lying. So yeah. yeah, when they're when they're happy to see you, like you know, they are genuinely yeah. happy to see you. Oh man, you're, this is making me want to get a little dog. <laughs> <laughs> you just start with a little dog. Yeah. Well, Mariah has been talking about it for a while. <laughs> It's, it's, it is, it is no question. I think, you know, the best way to answer that question is I believe because it, it completes humans. There's no question about it that there's just that Lego piece, like that ideal, perfect Lego piece. And, you know, they don't ask anything of us except for a little bit of food, maybe a little bit of water, but that's it. They don't ask anything. Right. And dogs live in the now, right. We're always constantly thinking about sort of the future and all what's tomorrow going to be like. And, oh gosh, I lost my email. This is the worst day in my whole world. I was typing it halfway, but the dog, I mean, especially depending on some of the breeds, I mean, like a golden retriever, man, like happy 24 seven, best energy 24 seven. And the transformation, Dr. Karen Becker says all the time, right. It's health traveling up the leash. What dogs can do for us in return, I mean, Harvard University was just recently wrote a giant article about it, extends lifespan. Owning a dog, according to science, can extend your lifespan oh, wow. for a multitude of reasons. Very cool. Well, let's talk about, because you just said they don't ask for much. They ask for a little bit of food and water, but we fail miserably uh. at, at just feeding our pets. And I think quite a bit, quite a bit of it is because of ignorance. We we just we see the commercial, here's the cheap food. I mm. buy a dollar worth of food a week and the, my pet should be fine, right? right? Yeah. But they're not really thriving. It seems to me that's why you wrote this book, too. Yeah. We wrote this book for a lot of different reasons, but the the big kind of coming together was as a proactive wellness veterinarian, I am seeing my own patients not live as long as healthily as they should, certainly. Mm. But across the board, we have a worldwide epidemic of animals not thriving. And the question for me is, why is that? Why are animals not as healthful, living as healthily as they should? They have more disease processes, more degeneration, more lifestyle-related diseases than ever before, but they're also not living as long as they should. And we'd heard about all these outlier dogs. Mm-hmm. Some of these dogs living, you know, tw- early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, 30-year-old dogs. And Randy's like, listen, we got to go find these dogs and find out what are they doing? Are they outliers or are these owners doing something intentional to create 30-year-old dogs? So we just wanted to find out what the scoop was. So we went on a mission to do it. Yeah. There's an acronym in the book, DOGS. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about what that acronym yeah. it, it represents? Brilliant, brilliant acronym. Uh, <laughs> D, I mean, and I'd love to take full credit for it, uh, but somebody's a little bit smarter with the acronyms over here. Uh, so yeah, so we broke it down. Like, how can we explain longevity? Because you're going to write a book, first of all, and you're going to tell people that, you know, the longest lived dog 30 that we know of that we got to sit down with Mm. and you know as dr becker alluded to the 27 year old dogs and so on and so forth but then you look here in north america and the average lifespan today of a typical dog is you're lucky might be 10 or 11 yeah so it's like man how did like where did i miss out on that right so we know that diet is a major major part of it obviously right i've listened to multiple podcasts where you've talked about your wife who's a Mm -hmm. dietitian and, and and how important health and nutrition is holy moly is it ever it's if not equally more important in the pet space as well, but just people don't have that mindset and that knowledge. So we said, okay, right off the bat, D is going to be for diet, mm. right? Because that is, yes, if you got that on lockdown, you're almost there, right? Let's say one quarter of the way there. Um, o for optimal movement, exercise. Mm-hmm. We all know how critical exercise is. Mm. G, genetics. Man, mm. I, I can't even tell you what we've done to dogs over the last 100 years over genetics. Everybody wants that designer breed what are you really getting genetically speaking, yeah. right? So we we dive really deep into genetics. And then S, for me, maybe one of the most 
eye-opening experiences I've ever had when we got to sit down with some of the world's top longevity experts to break it down for us, stress. And not just stress by like your day-to-day stress, but we broke it into a couple categories, like chemical stress. What are the things that we are putting on our pets? What are like the ramifications from that, right? Mm -hmm. You have physical stress, you have emotional stress. So that was kind of sort of the breakdown of the DOGS strategy because we didn't want people at the end of the day to say, hey, I looked in the book. I saw the, one of the oldest lived dogs was eating carrots. I gave my dog carrots. He didn't live to be 30. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> we really had to. A lot of other factors. Yeah, there. 100%. And I think, I think we'll dive a little bit deeper into the acronym, especially the diet side of things because I want to talk about what it means to eat healthfully. we got yeah. some other questions here. Um, shout out to our Patreon live stream. We usually do a Patreon live stream for this, but we already did one this week. But um, we do have a question from Patreon from Hannah. By the way, Hannah, thank you for keeping our podcast 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Yeah, they do. Looks like Hannah has a question for us. How many pets is too many for a minimalist? Four. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> you know what is, is interesting? I think this is, it's like, that's like asking how many, how many items is yep. too many or how many children is too many, yeah. right? Yeah. It, because it's all perspectival. So uh, we have a friend, Leo Babalta, who first turned us on to minimalism many years ago. Mm-hmm. He and his wife has six kids. He's the ultimate minimalist. Yeah, but he still has a ton of kids. Right. Six kids would be totally inappropriate for yeah, me, right. right? And so understanding what is appropriate for you, one pet might be too many for you yeah. or three might not be enough. Yeah. Yep. That is exactly right. It depends on you, your lifestyle, your job, how much, how can you afford to appropriately nourish them, care for them? Do you have the time? All of those factors. Mm. So to answer her question, it's you need to make sure that you can assure yourself that you are giving every animal in your care the very best life, physically, emotionally, that you are doing everything you can to to make sure that you're doing your part as a guardian. And that's from birth until the day that that animal dies. So it's a lifelong commitment that you have to be prepared for. So it's not about a number. It's about are you doing excellent service to the animals that you have committed to care for. And that's your first priority. And you don't keep Mm. adding more animals if you do not have the time, resources, energy, focus to be able to love and support them completely for their whole life. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. I I think I was watching this show uh, called The Kindness Diaries. And this guy drives around in a car with no cash. And he just like sees how he can like live with no money at all. And it's, you know, Relying on the kindness of strangers is a whole idea. Well, there was this particular uh, woman in Mexico, I think, who had, I want to say like like a huge 500 acre like lot and had like a thousand dogs. And she just like rescued as many dogs as possible. And I would still consider her a minimalist. I mean, if that's if that's the lifestyle she was living, you could have a thousand dogs. She had the room for it. <laughs> um, and what he would do in return is like he would basically do something for the community or do something for that person. Like when they, you know, would give him an act of kindness, he ended up feeding them for I forget how many months or something. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, there, there's no number to put on it for sure. It's it's yeah, the quality of lifestyle. Like that's that's really what you want to look at. You mentioned genetics er- earlier, Rodney, and I'll tell you, man, I have seen. Like some dogs, I really feel sorry. Like these little teacup chihuahuas, I've seen probably three, four, five. I've never seen like a super healthy 
teacup chihuahua. Their tongues hanging out. They have like an eyeball popping out <laughs> right, of their yeah. head. And they're like, yes. oh, look how cute. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it was a, it's a huge problem, especially today. They call it, the, you know, during the puppy pandemic stage, right? Because mm. everybody wanted oh, a dog. Yeah. We watched oh. like rates like skyrocket, right? Really? There's some, so some shelters will tell you we're completely out of dogs, which is awesome. Right, right. It, this isn't. This doesn't. It's not a like a perfect through line. Did not happen everywhere in every single location, but in a lot of locations, right? A lot, lots of like news media releases that a lot of these shelters are out of dogs. A lot of breeders now have more demand on dogs, so there's like a such a a demand for dogs that now like it's almost like breeders are just like popping them out like Tic Tacs, mm. man, right? And so, but you don't know exactly what you're getting. And scams, puppy scams, are absolutely through the roof at the moment, right? Oh, so wow. people, what's, what's a puppy? So a puppy scam? scam would be like I contact, let's say, breeder A, who tells me that I'm getting this specific type of breed. Let's uh -huh. just say that you go to pet parents, super pumped. You get your dog. You come home. A year later, because this is a puppy, it's small, it's tiny, it's developing. You're not really 100% sure what you got. Let's just say you went for, I don't know, golden retriever, let's say, hypothetically. And then like six months in, you're like, is that a golden retriever? I, that doesn't kind of look like a golden retriever to me, right? Oh. But you're already six months in. It's like with your child, you, you develop this bond. Yeah. One year later, you're like- no, I'd take her back. That's sure. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, this right. baby is defective. Yes. What is this? Ella's going to be nine this year. I'll still take her back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're into yeah. it. You're like, that's not a golden hundred percent, right? Yeah. And so these are these puppy scams. So these dogs are coming from different parts of the mm. world. It, it's kind of terrible. Yeah, but genetics. When you're talking about genetics, you know, we're we're always told that you need like a good set of genes will take you a long way, right? How about that guy that you know smokes until he's like a hundred and drinks whiskey until he's a hundred, and then you've got this epic pillar of health on the other side, like his polar opposite. Let's say his brother, and he dies at like. 60 of a heart attack. Meanwhile, yeah. the drinker and the smoker lives to be 100, right? We know right. that genetics plays a huge role here. Same thing in the dog world. What, what's happening though, um, aside from these like puppy, this puppy pandemic problem where people are going home with the wrong breed or t genetically malfunctioned dogs, Dr. Karen Becker talks about it all the time. There's this term called like genetic deletion where you can come home with a dog that's missing a specific gene for like eye health. You spend oh. the rest of your life spending money like at an optometrist, uh, veterinary optometrist, spending money on vet bills, or you go home that a dog missing a gene for a specific function or like proper heart health. Mm. So the dog develops like dilated cardiomyopathy in the future. So genetics is so important because you can do all of the most perfect things as a pet parent, like literally go from like A to Z, be the most like quintessential pet parent in the entire world. But the dog had a set of genetics that you couldn't control or yeah. you rescue a dog from a shelter. You can't do anything about those genetics, right? Right. right. But so, really the take home message is if you're going to spend money, there are millions of dogs dying in, and dying in shelters around the world. They're really, yeah. we just have an overpopulation problem. So I'm a big believer. It, if you can rescue an animal, please do. That However, if you're going to, you're going to spend cash, if you're going to shell out money on life, mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you are buying amazing genetics, yeah. that you are supporting ethical breeders and breeders trying to diversify and make their breed more resilient, that they're doing DNA testing to check for genetic deletions, mm. that they're doing everything they can to produce incredibly healthy litters. But those breeders are actually really hard to find. Yeah, Backyard breeders, puppy mills, way mm. easier. And because people want a dog so bad, when they decide, okay, I'm getting one, they will go to a pet store. They'll buy puppies out of someone's car in a parking lot. Mm. They, they'll say, you know what? Someone has to rescue this dog. And I've had so many clients say, I didn't want to buy a puppy mill dog, but I wanted a puppy now. Mm. And what I tell my clients 
is just like adopting a child. You would not just go to some shady backyard, whatever, and you know get a kid because the kid could be trafficked, right? You just don't do that. Right. You have yeah. to you have to go the legal ways and make sure that you are doing things ethically, morally, correctly. Yeah. And if you want to pay money for a dog, you really want to make sure that your breeder is stellar and that you've done your homework and that you've asked, you know, we have a 21 question breeder questionnaire in the book that you want to ask really detailed questions and you want to make sure that you're getting the responses you want from that breeder Mm -hmm. so that you know in your heart you're paying for a puppy that's not going to deliver a massive heartbreak to you later on. Now, once you have a pet, I want to talk about what is in our control. So their diet and exercise, mm-hmm. which are two very broad terms. We recognize that that dogs who are just trapped in a studio apartment all day may not be thriving in terms of their mobility. I think that's relatively obvious. The thing that's less obvious is the food that we feed to our dogs. So yeah. when you talk about feeding your dogs healthfully, or cats as well, feeding your pets healthfully, well, what's uh, what does that really look like? Yeah, here lies the million-dollar dilemma that we were facing when we were first getting into this conundrum, right? Because, Mm. look, convenience is one thing. Because one of the scary things for, like, a first-time pet parent is, what on earth am I going to feed this dog? Like, I I have no idea what I'm supposed to feed a dog. Mm. It's almost like bringing home, like, a baby alien, right? Like, I don't know what he's supposed to eat, (laughs) right? Cornmeal. You know, (laughs) cornmeal. Cornmeal and soy. Yeah, so, like, obviously, you have to rely on somebody. So, for first-time pet parents, they're going to allow the manufacturer to, you know, produce something for them that they believe is going to be healthy. One of our challenges when it comes to the term food is we we live in a polar opposite world. So human science nutrition and animal science nutrition are upside down Mm. and they don't need to be. Mm. But they are because of perception. And that term perception is coupled coupled to reality, right? Mm -hmm. We perceive ultra-processed diets, foods that are shelf-stable that can sit on shelves for years without rotting to be science and health in a pet shop. Mm. But when you go to the grocery store and there's those same type of foods that come out through an extruder, you got to get this Play-Doh mix that, you know, with these oils and gels and they get punched out of like this little hole that comes out and dies and then they start chopping them into these like little tiny pellets. Well, we know that's extrusion in the human field, in the human world. There's something innate inside of you that looks at that and be like, ah, you know that, I don't know if that's going to be really good for me. That's not food. I, you know, I should be in the, in the, in the, what they say, the outer aisles in the grocery store, like where you get the fresh greens and so on and so forth. I'm shopping kind of in the middle aisle. You know that inside of you. But in the animal space, in animal science nutrition, Doctors, veterinarians, breeders, people are told ultra-processed food is science. Ultra-processed food is healthier. This is what you should be feeding. If you go to your refrigerator and you pull a carrot out of your refrigerator and you feed it to your dog or your cat, Mm. Ryan, Mm -hmm. you'll give it diarrhea. Mm. Stick with the ultra-processed food. It's better for your pet and your pet will live a lot longer. We're the only, oh, wow. as veterinarians, we're the last remaining group of health and wellness professionals to advocate eating entirely processed food from birth till death. Veterinarians are, yeah, I mean, pediatricians say, hey, parents, feed your kids some more fresh food. Try and get some living foods in. In the U.S., about 50% of calories for humans come from ultra-processed foods a day. But that means the other 50%, we're eating some living food, some, some recognizable food. Mm. We're like, oh, look, I can identify what that food is. Mm-hmm. Animals eat ultra-processed little brown crunchy balls from the day that they're weaned till the day that they die. And lots of pet parents have never thought about giving anything other than pet food because 
my profession included, will say never, never feed anything but these little crunchy pellets. And we do find it interesting. We talk a lot about in the book how that got started. But the fact is, kibble, feeding your kids to the dollar menus, super fast. The kids don't argue. It's cheap and everyone's happy in the car, but they are not well nourished. They're full, but they're not well nourished. Yeah. The same epidemic is happening with our companion animals. They are being fed. They're obese. They're, they have massive lifestyle-related diseases. We have more allergies, autoimmune disease, more cancer, more diabetes than ever before. Mm. And yet, we're not necessarily having the correlation to food conversation. And mm. that was the other half of the reason that we wrote the book. We wanted people to recognize what's happening here and then, most importantly, have a path to fix it. And, mm. and these healthy dogs who live the longest, it seems to me that they're they're eating, well, they're eating real food. They're right. eating, I mean, the, our pets, cats in particular, but even dogs are, are carnivorous animals. They eat meat and the, to eat meat in its rawest form is where they're going to get the most, you know, B vitamins and nutrients, et cetera, that is all cooked out, processed out of that, that food that you're talking about. And then this is where we needed to turn to the human space when we were going to do this. We knew that we were going to hit dead ends, man, if we were going to look to the science community and the animal world, mm. because where are all the studies and the research and the data coming up? Well, it comes from big pet food. Those are right. people that can kind of afford it, right? Sure. Yeah. Those like top three companies are also the top three companies in the confectionery space, in the human space, right? Oh. So it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, when you go through the grocery store, it's kind of interesting. You know, when you look at the levels of food, right? So somebody would say to himself, okay, well, I can only spend this much money, so I'm going to go to the grocery store to buy my food. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got a little bit more money. I can go down to the pet specialty store down the, the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got a lot of money. I'll just go buy it from my vet clinic because it's like the best food. All made by the same manufacturer. Yeah. From bottom to top. Same stuff. Bottom to top, right? So this is kind of like that, oh my gosh, experience. So when you try to go into the literature, into science, and you say, okay, let's write this book. Let's talk about, you know, health. Let's talk about, uh, you know, nourishments and phytochemicals and, and polyphenols and so on and so forth. If you... You spend some time in PubMed, it's all done on ultra-processed food. Right. So ultra-processed mm. food diet A, we sprinkled some polyphenols on it and we saw some great success. So let's put some polyphenol powder on the ultra-processed food diet and we're seeing some benefit. Wow. Well, who's doing the studies on like whole foods here? Yes. Like who's doing that? So one of the big challenges for us was like, okay, let's get on a plane. You know, when you, if you want to be a millionaire, sit down and talk to a millionaire. Don't sit down you know, in the bar with that guy that's got those millionaire ideas who's like dead broke. By the way, can you help pay for my beer for me? Like, like, where are you going to get your advice from? Let's go out. Let's sit down with some of these extraordinary pet parents that have raised the most extraordinary dogs and cats, dogs to be in their 30s. Jake Perry, who's raised back-to-back Guinness World Book of Record cats, set the Guinness World Book of Record once at their 34-year-old cat, second time at a 38-year-old cat. Those are the people you got to talk to. So what are you guys doing? Yeah. And rather than we say, hey, okay, let's break down and, and give our thoughts. Of course, our thoughts are in the book, but let's go to the top scientists. Like at, at some point, some of these guys like Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard University, Dr. Like Valder Longo, uh, Dr. Sachin Panda from the Salk Institute. Let's yeah. go like, who's going to battle those guys? Come yeah. on. Like somebody in the big pet food industry wants to battle those guys. No, let's go to these human longevity experts, help them break down why they think these dogs live so long, why they feel feeding fresh whole food can be done. And how can we take that data and put it together in a book bite size mm. for a pet parent, whether you're 20 year old living in LA or whether you're an 80 year old living up in Canada, everyone will be able to break it down easily. What's beautiful uh, about this is, well, 
we're accidentally causing a lot of suffering mm-hmm. in other animals. We don't mm-hmm. intend to. In fact, our intentions are the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take in this animal because I want to care for them. I want to provide them a better life, not knowing what we're doing to them is causing disease and misery and suffering. And I want to acknowledge you for writing this book because really what we're talking about here is easing that suffering or eliminating the suffering through very simple, we're not talking about some elaborate thing. It's fact, it's, it's actually getting back to nature, Mm -hmm. to, to what, pets eat and how they move, right? And even back to their genetics, understanding that what we're doing with breeding pets is causing a lot of suffering as well. Ryan, I want to move on to some callers here. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Looks like we have a question here from Jen in Albany, New York. I have five children and a husband, and um, we have a family dog. Uh, The dog, I believe, adds value to my life and to the kid's life, but my husband, unfortunately, is not not getting value out of the dog's presence. And, you know, the dog is doing stuff like, you know, making holes in the yard and preventing his um, garden from thriving. Um, we have like a perimeter, uh, collar on him so he can only go in certain places. Um, but the garden is in the front yard and I feel like having the dog in the front yard, his presence is important, um, just from a safety perspective, you know, um, to keep, uh, people from feeling too comfortable walking up to the house. So in that respect, I, I get value out of his presence as well. Um, but my husband's really frustrated because he's, you know, um, he wants his garden to look nice. Um, I guess that's a dilemma, you know, like it, what do you do when, when um, your uh, values are uh, contradictory? So, you know, what's fascinating here, Jen, is I totally, completely resonate with your husband and, <laughs> and my family, like my, my daughter in particular would love to have a dog. We live in an apartment. It just, I don't, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I don't think for, for us, at least not, not currently, but there is a particular burden here because it's not just about taking care of the dog. It's the, the suffering that this dog is inflicting on the husband by trampling the garden, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they are at a bit of an impasse. Do we have any thoughts for Jen and her family? Well, a couple of different thoughts from my perspective. I have no idea, Jen, how much exercise your pooch is getting. But let me say this. Dogs, all dogs are wired as athletes. Mm. And dogs need a lot of people think that I'm just going to let my dog in the yard and, you know, it's beautiful. They'll be able to move around. There's a bunch of sensory stimulation. Everything will be fine. Dogs get bored quickly and they will create their own parties. Digging is a good example of a dog that's like, there's not much going on out here. I really don't have much to do. I think I'm just going to dig a bunch of big holes in the yard. (laughs) Now, you can train dogs. You can give your dog an appropriate digging pit. So you can give him one area and that's where he needs to dig. But getting your dog nice and tired on a daily basis, running your dog to exhaustion every day, allowing your dog to move his body off lead and get 
all of his energy out. It's like a little kid. Yes. You have to allow them to burn up energy and move their bodies. That's a great way for you to get you, exercise it is. as well. Yes. Yeah. And your five kids. I yes. Mean, you well share the responsibilities here. built-in so. dog babysitters right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Five Absolutely. out. Each kid takes an hour. That's yes. five hours. Actually, the dog will be so tired, he will not be able to dig in the yard. There so we, I, we do have to say, dogs, a lot of people assume that their dogs are mentally enriched and that they have a beautiful life when really their dogs are bored stiff. I'm not insinuating that, Jen. But a lot of people say, I have a lot of kids. The dog is going to be active. The dog is naturally happy. A lot of dogs in big families are bored stiff and create their own parties by misbehavior. Uh, so I would say exercise, first of all. Second thing I would do is if your husband can recognize, especially if the dog will self-forage out of the garden, if you plant an extra 10% for the dog to be able to participate and choose foods from the garden, you can grow food for your dog that your dog will be able to self-select. And in essence, it becomes a sensory herb nourishment garden that includes providing enough fruits and veggies for your dog. Now, the husband may say, I'm not interested in doing that. But if he could include the dog as a part of growing the garden... And then, of course, training. There has to be some training involved. You might be able to begin to coexist with the dog in a way that allows him to exist in the yard without wanting to trample the garden because he's bored stiff yeah. while working on training. But getting your dog good and tired on a daily basis is one of the most important things to prevent boredom-based behaviors around the house. Oh, my God, Karen. You should be like a marriage counselor. This is uh, <laughs> this is great advice for Jen and her husband. Because, Well, here's the thing. With any relationship, right, there's got to be a little bit of give and take, a little bit of a compromise, which I don't know why, but when I say compromise, it sounds like negative. But there is. Like, that's just how it is in a relationship. Like, you've got to figure out what each other's preferences are, values are, and you got to meet in the middle somewhere sometimes. And what you've done is you've given Jen an action item. Like, hey, here's what you can do to help the dog. And you've also given her husband something that, hey, here's what your husband can do. And, like, this will alleviate some of that stress you're feeling around the dog. So, um, yeah, you should, yeah, maybe look into marriage counseling. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan, I want to move on to one more question for this minimal episode. What time is it? You know what time it is? It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937 202 Four six five four. Now, Rodney, Karen, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. But not really. We just ramble on a little bit. <laughs> Podcast Sean tweezes something out that's pithy and he puts it in the show notes. We call them minimal maxims. Uh, you can copy and spread our minimal maxims on social media if you like. You can find them in the show notes or you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place. Minimalmaxims.com. Looks like Eden has a question for us, Alabama. I love the cat I adopted recently, but now everyone's giving me cat-themed gifts. Mm -hmm. How do we continue to be a proud pet guardian without it becoming our entire identity? Isn't this interesting? Because it does become part of our identity sometimes. I am this type of person, yeah. whatever it is. Here's my job title on business card. I am a cat person. I am a dog person. I am whatever. And we get so caught up in that identity. It's And now people try to reinforce that identity through a bunch of, well, you know, oh. excess stuff. What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> I, I have to say this to my clients all the time, my beautiful yeah. clients, and they want to gift me all sorts of mm. things. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's great. I just say, listen, thank you so much. I you ple Please don't. Please don't. In, in her situation, I would say, listen, I love my cat. I'm all things cat. I'm a crazy cat person. However, I don't want crazy cat stuff. 
Um, I just believe in being really honest with everyone mm. who is trying to give me more and more stuff that I don't have a place for. I am honest with my clients and say, thank you so much. I, I'm not interested. My clients are aware at this point now that I'm not a, a gift girl. That, so thank you so much. Um, thank you. No. Mm. My problem is my genetics. <laughs> yeah. I'm Canadian. So yeah. like, yeah. I'm just like, thank All you. Right. Or sorry. I just don't have it genetically inside of me. Somebody to give me something and yeah. I give it back, even mm. if I didn't want to get it. But you know, there's some really cool things that you can do maybe with those items man, there's a lot of rescues and shelters that really could use money and they're always doing auctions, right? Mm. I don't know how awesome it would be if somebody gave me a gift and they were, saw it on Facebook trolling around somewhere that it was being auctioned. But I mean, you could do some really, you could do some real good with some of the gifts that people give me. So I know sometimes I'll have something, waited out a little bit. I donated to a shelter, but it can go to like an awesome cause or like cancer research or whatever the case may be. Maybe you could turn that gift into sort of transforming an animal's life. That would be my one Canadian type of idea. That's beautiful. <laughs> Such a giving, giving a heart over here, this Canadian heart. <laughs> well, I, I have a, just a comment about identities. And, I, you know, we were sort of talking about that for a second. But here's something pithy for you. Our, our identities are shaped by the stories we tell ourselves. So quite often we just say, well, I am this type of person. Um, and... Unfortunately, that becomes incredibly limiting because then we mm. get, if you are a cat person, now I can't have a dog, right? right. right. Oh, I, I never right. own a do Ooh, dog. Yeah. I'm just a cat person. Or, mm -hmm. uh, In fact, we're going to talk about this on the Maximal episode this week. I got the story of Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall with oh, their, yeah. their cat and dog. And um, we're going to talk about that. But you become sort of constricted by the limiting stories that you tell yourself. Yeah. You got something pithy for us, right? Yeah, I do. And it has to do with identity as well. So our, our identities cannot hide us from ourselves. So you might not want to be a cat person, but maybe you are a cat person and that's okay. <laughs> but just because you give yourself a label, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to uh, uh, be that type of person. So yeah, I'm not saying that you are or aren't a cat person, Eden, but, uh, but if you are, that's okay. Because mm -hmm. I know some people who are like, they, they think of a cat person and they're like, oh, I can never be a cat person. But really, like, they would really get along well with cats. And that's that's OK. <laughs> yeah. And I, even with me, I have that limiting belief where like I'm not a pet person. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, part of it is I, I do have out pet allergies, but there are, you know, hypo and allergenic yes. and uh, all these yes. other things. Right. Yes. But the most limiting thing is saying, well, I'm not that type of person and, mm -hmm. and understanding, you know what, like maybe there are some ways to get value from this that I'm closing myself off to. Mm -hmm. We got so much more to talk about, but real quick uh, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. It's a brand new month and that means it's a brand new opportunity to play the 30 day minimalism game. Although you could do this with your pet stuff too, because on the maximal this Thursday over at Patreon, we're going to talk about, um, Oh, our pets are such hoarders now. <laughs> our pets have so the average kid in America has about three hundred toys, but plays with only twelve of them daily. Yeah. It feels like pets are the same way, except oh, they man. play with about well, one toy. Yeah. What a great scapegoat, though! Like I'm not a hoarder; my pet is. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. Blame it on the cat. Right? I'm not a hoarder. It's my it's my kids and my pet. They're the hoarders. Yeah. So here's how the thirty day minimalism game works: you partner up with someone, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a pet, and uh, you decide to get rid of some stuff. Starting at the beginning of the month, first day of the month, you each get 
get rid of one item. Starts off really easy, get you that momentum you need. Second day of the month, two items. Third day of the month, three items, so forth and so on. Really, really easy up front. But then it gets more difficult because day 12, you're like, oh, crap, I got to get rid of a dozen things today. Uh, and it's all pet toys. Um, <laughs> and But then, you know, tomorrow I have to get rid of 13 things. And so whoever you partner up with, well, that you bet whatever you want. You can bet a dollar, a nice meal. You have to watch my dog for a week, whatever it might be. Whoever goes the longest throughout the month, you win. If you both make it to the end of the month, then you've both won because you've gotten rid of about 500 items. That's a really good start. You can download a free minimalist game calendar over on our resources page, theminimalists.com slash resources. You can also see a video we did about the minimalist game over there as well at uh, theminimalists.com slash game. So it's a free game, free calendar you can download, theminimalists.com slash game. Alabama, we got some more to talk about. What do you got for us first? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hey, Josh and Ryan, this is Kristen. I wanted to share a health tip with you and your listeners. Every morning for several years, my routine has started with a glass of hot water with half a lemon squeezed in it. Hot water because the molecules move faster and it acts like a scrub brush through your digestive system. It's like a natural cleanser that allows you to digest your subsequent food and drinks throughout the day more effectively and also so you can absorb nutrients better. It also helps detoxify the liver and you can metabolize and burn fat better. And then, of course, the vitamin C is a nice boost to the immune system. Hello, this is Sarah Wilkinson from Kent in the UK. Um, I have a photo tip I wanted to share with fellow listeners on their own minimalist journey. I've discovered that I personally really don't like to have anything hung on the wall unless it has sentimental value or practical use, um, which includes photographs. So I started making a calendar at the end of every year, which is filled with photos of things I did and places I went that year, which I can reflect on over the following year. Um, Not only does it remind me and reinforce gratitude of what a great year I had, it also helps keep me organized and actually encourages me to create new experiences so that I can fill up my calendar the next year. Um, There are companies out there where you can really personalize the calendar. Um, I think this keeps a fresh style and then obviously more importantly, um, fresh photos as you flip the calendar over every month. And then at the end of the year, I let go and recycle the calendar. All right, y'all. Big thanks to our new friends, Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker. Their book is called The Forever Dog, Surprising New Science to Help Your Canine Companion Live Younger, Healthier, and Longer. You can also find them online. Did you know that Dr. Karen Becker is the most followed vet on Facebook. So we'll put a link to her Facebook in the show notes. Also, Rodney is the founder of Planet Pauls. He's a blogger and public speaker. You can find all of his work over there at Planet Pauls. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Ryan, for our added value this week, since we're talking about exotic pets on the Maxwell episode, mm-hmm. one exotic pet is a bonobo. You can keep a bonobo. I guess you can keep anything as a pet, technically. You can yeah, keep anything. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I've been keeping a child for years. <laughs> but people actually keep bonobos as pets? I mean, some people do. Okay. Very, very few. And, right. and obviously, uh, Dr. Becker, she she is against the exotic right. pets. And she, she'll go into detail on why on the Maximal episode this week. But my added value this week is bonobo. But 
Mm. It's a band called Bonobo. Oh. They have a new album out. The album is called Fragments, and the title, or the opening track, rather, is a song called Poly Ghosts. Let's have a listen to that. Now, this album, it's, it's a short album, but it's sort of like this... Bex and I were driving around yesterday just listening to it, and it's like atmospheric Cali vibes, but it starts off real like down tempo and then it becomes real upbeat and and before you know it you're all you're just dancing to it and you didn't didn't expect it at all but we're going to ease you into it here's the opening track it's called poly ghost it's from bonobo's new album fragments by the way ryan we have a bunch more surprise questions this week like what do we do if we think someone might be an animal hoarder what's the best way to rehome your pet when you can no longer care for them is there any such thing as essential pet gear? How do you plan end-of-life decisions for your pets? Plus a million more questions for Karen, Rodney, and The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You also gain access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus... Podcast Sean, Alabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.